Since it's Mother's Day, I want to begin my sermon today by asking all the moms in here a question. Okay, so pay attention to my scenario that I'm going to spell out here, and i got a question for you. So I want you to imagine something with me today. Okay, moms, can you imagine something with me today? Now, don't hate me for I'm going to have you imagine. I'm telling you in advance. Let's imagine it's December 1st, and Christmas is only four weeks away. Now, don't hate me for reminding you that winter is coming again. And it's been a long, cold spring. Winter's coming again, but let's imagine it's December 1st, so Christmas is just a few weeks away, and your kids have been letting you know all of the things that they have to have for Christmas. I have to have that electronic whatever. I have to have this certain article of clothing. I have to have this certain bike or toy or something. And they come to you like this, Mom, I need, I need, I need to have fill-in-the-blank for Christmas. Or, Mom, could I please have that certain thing for Christmas? Now, first of all, moms, am I correct so far? Does it sound kind of like the days leading up to Christmas? Yeah, moms? Okay. So moms are saying yes, thank you. for. I think it is. I've watched it in our home. So, so Christmas is coming. Your kids know it's coming, and they want stuff. Now, here's my question for you, moms. Um... Do your kids, and they got to be a little older to get this, do your kids change their behavior at all as Christmas approaches, hoping that their changed behavior will affect what they get? I'm seeing no's and I'm seeing yes. I heard absolutely yes. I think that's pretty common. So for instance, oh mom, may I please take out the garbage today? You know, where you're generally begging them, can I please take out the garbage today um, because it's December 22nd? Or mom, hey, I cleaned my room all by myself. You didn't have to beg me or badger me. Or maybe this one, this would have been kind of common in our house, I think. Um, hey, mom, uh, me and my brother have not been fighting like cats and dogs um, right now. Isn't that good how good we get along? Look, I've seen mom going, yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you see some changes in behavior because your kids know that Christmas is coming? Yeah, I think you usually do. I think it's kind of like Ralphie in one of my top Christmas movies, one I have to watch every year, that last year I got my family to go watch with me at a movie theater at the Rivoli, and they realized that's really a good movie, even though they would laugh at me every year when I'd watch it a time or two, or when it... Turner Broadcasting had it on 24 hours a day. I just keep it on the TV the whole time. The movie The Christmas Story with Ralphie. And what's Ralphie want? He wants an official Red Ryber carbon action 200 shot range model air rifle with a compass in the stock. Right? He wants a BB gun. And so what's he do? He schemes and he works to get the gift of his dreams. Because he knew that Christmas was coming he was looking forward to what it would, what Christmas would bring, and it affected how he acted in the days leading up to Christmas. Right? Right. That's kind of the gist of that whole movie. So he's asked this. Pastor Mark, the snow was like flying two weeks ago. Why in the world would you talk about Christmas when spring has hardly even sprung yet? Well, because I think it will help us to understand the text that we're going to look at today during our Missions Emphasis Month. So grab your Bible. We're going to look for the next two weeks, this week and next week, in the book of Colossians together. I did something interesting with Colossians 
um, this, this year. For about four months, I read the whole book of Colossians every morning when I got up. I just kept, I just read it every single day. I just felt the Lord wanted me to. I wanted to just live in the book of Colossians. So every day, I read the book of Colossians through. It was one of the first things I did every morning. Um, just to kind of bathe in what the Apostle Paul is writing here. And it was out of that that I had the idea on what I thought the Lord said we should do for our missions month. And this springs out of that. So Colossians, we're going to read a couple verses today, and we're just going to look at a, a few of the, out of the couple that we read. So Colossians chapter 1, let's read verses 3 through 6. And I'm reading out of the New Living Translation today. It says, We always pray, and it's the Apostle Paul writing to the people of Colossae, We always pray for you, and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it has changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. Now, if you notice something, that last verse, verse 6, is the verse that's now up on the wall in our cafe next to our display. And that's the verse I'll be talking about next week. But for this week, I want us just to think about what Paul implies here. And it's pretty, a pretty, um, uh, the, the thing he says here is something that we normally, I don't think a natural conclusion we'd normally come to. And so we want to hear what he says because he's really turning some things in our world upside down in what he says in verses 4 and 5. Look at verses 4 and 5 again. It says, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which comes from your, springs from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. Do you notice what Paul says here? He says, one's faith in Jesus and their love for people originates in a confident hope of what God has reserved for them in heaven. In other words, he's saying this, our actions today, um, how we follow Jesus, and our actions today of how we love people, um, what we do to express our love to people, how wide we open up our arms in loving ways towards people, he says, is tied to our confident hope about heaven about eternity with the Lord. It's kind of like Ralphie. He had a confident hope that Christmas would come, so it affected how he interacted and loved other people. Now, friends, this is where missions comes in. Missions is really all about one thing. Missions is all about love. Think about this. What would drive a person to leave their friends and family and go to a group of people who many times are even hostile to them being there in order to tell them about Jesus. What would make somebody do that? One word, love. Last night we had our our monthly Portview prayer and last night we focused on, on praying for our missionaries and we had a time of 28 different people that we support every single month here and we, the group of people that were here, we scrolled through pictures in their countries and we prayed for each one of them. And then when it was done, I just talked about the real life of some of those people because I know most of them personally. A lot of them are my friends. 
And what we tried to point out is these are real people. Most of the missionaries we support are from Wisconsin on purpose to show that God is doing real things in the lives of real people here, calling us all around the globe. And we talked about their real lives and the real struggles that they're having and, and pointed out some of the personal struggles and some of the lives. And somebody could say, what would make that person leave all of this, go to some place, a lot of times live in poverty, leave family, leave friends, and a lot of times go to people who they have to hide why they're even there doing it because if they find out why they're there doing it, they would kill them. Why would they do that? Love. It's the only reason why. They, the love of God compels them to go to those people and share the love of Christ. Or this, what would cause someone to risk embarrassment and maybe even rejection in order to tell a co-worker or a friend or a family member about what Jesus has done in their life? Why would they do that? Why not just keep it to yourself? One word. Love. What would cause a spouse to pray for their husband or wife for years and years and years and be faithful towards them, even if they're, even if they're very difficult, hoping that one day that that spouse would come to know Jesus? What would do it? One word. Love. What would motivate someone to give up their finances in a world that is, is obsessed with getting more? Say, I'm going to on purpose have less. I'm going to give of my finances and I'm going to give of my time in order to spend, uh, in order to spread rather, the gospel message. What's the word? Love. See, the motivation for mission. And mission is simply this. Joining God in his mission of seeking and saving the lost. The motivation for joining with God in his mission, and Jesus said that's why he came, to seek and to save the lost, and he's given that mission to us, the motive, and that we'll join with him in it, the motivation for mission is love. And love is the result, Paul says here, something that's kind of, you got to get your mind around this, I'm going to take a whole time, whole day there, just got to get our mind around this one thought, love is the result of a confident hope in heaven. That's what Paul's saying. What, what do you mean by that? Love is a result of a confident hope in heaven. Love, willing the best for others. It's a great definition of love. Love is willing the best for others. So love springs from a confident hope in heaven. And you say, I'm not sure I understand what you mean by that. Well, here's how it works. This is what the Apostle Paul is trying to get at. He says, if I have a confident hope a confident belief in what I know to be true for my future. I know what my future will be. I'm confident in it. Then it will affect me today. Think about it. If I know that one day my body will die, but the essence of who I am will continue on, and one day, even someday, my body itself will be resurrected, and I will live eternally in a glorified state forever like that in a new heaven and a new earth where all things will be restored to what they were originally meant to be, including me, that will affect me. Matter of fact, the reason we're reading the book All Things New, and there's still five copies left out of the 50, five copies left um, on our display out there on our shelves, get that book, we're reading it as a book for the month, and Melissa's blogging it on our Facebook page, and great interaction with that, it's all about this, that if I can, if we can understand heaven, 
it will affect me today. If I understand that, it will affect me today. If I have a confident hope in an unbelievable future because I'm in Christ, and I know that because he rose from the grave in bodily form and promises that one day as his follower, I will rise like him in bodily form, and I will spend all of eternity without the corruption of sin in a restored heaven and a restored earth, living real life, living an exciting life, living a life of, of having everything that's maybe been lost in this world restored and better, then how I live here and now will change. If I really have a hope in a bright future, then this is why. Because of that, I do not need to live in fear. If I really have a hope in a bright future, then today, now, I don't need to live in fear. And I do, not to leave, I do not need to live a life with a sense of hoarding. Why as people do we hoard? One day I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, what do, what do we look like as people from God's perspective? And for some reason, I thought of ants. You ever walk up to an ant hill and just knock it over? They're growing up in the cracks in your driveway. They're growing through the cracks in your patio. And they got that little nest, the little, those little, little tiny pieces of sand or whatever it is that they make their little, their little hill out of an ant hill. And you just walk like this and you swipe it away. And one day I was looking at the anthills and I thought, that anthill is a lot bigger than that anthill and that anthill is real small. And I thought, from God's perspective, I think he looks at our hoarding like that. And he goes, oh yeah, the world looks at it and goes, hey, you got a bigger pile of stuff. Isn't that great? And God's going, it's a bunch of little pieces of dirt. And just because your pile is bigger than that pile and that pile is bigger than that pile and that pile is smaller than that pile, God just says it's really nothing. It's really nothing. When we really understand what eternity will be like and how good it's going to be, suddenly in this world, we don't have a sense of needing to hoard anymore. Or get this, we don't have a sense to need to protect ourselves the way we do anymore. I was just fighting and, and arguing and, and defend ourselves anymore because we know the end. And I don't need to worry about all the little things of life because I know in the end that I win with Jesus. See, if I know for sure, if I have a confident hope in a bright future, here's what happens. This is why it affects my today. Because then I'm free to love. Understand something about love, my friends. Love is costly. Love is costly. Loving your children is costly. Loving a friend is costly. We gave you $50 so you could express love. Love costs. But I can love when I have a confident hope because I know that I will never be in lack. My future, if I understand the promise of Scripture about eternity, my future is secure and my future is abundant. That's what Scripture is trying to communicate. I'm free to go to those who don't yet know Jesus across the street or around the world because I know that the purpose of this brief life now is to get me to that wonderful future place of a new heaven and a new earth and to help as many people as possible get there also through Jesus. Friends, it all starts with a confident hope in the restoration of all things, a confident hope in the, in the, in the joy of the promise of eternity. When I know that my future is secure, I don't have to fight and I don't have to strive because I know the end. I know I'll be, I'll be more than okay. I will soar and I will live in abundance and I will live in glory and in generosity. 
When I know that my future is secure, I don't need to live my days desperately trying to find pleasure in the things of this world. And that's what the rat race is really all about. Desperately trying to find pleasure in the things of this world. I don't need to do that anymore because I will have everything in the next. The new world and it will never, ever end. Friends, if you, if you, if you need a greater idea about that, you need to read the book we're reading because that's what the whole book is about what the future looks like. And friends, listen to me. We have a reason for a confident hope in a resurrected future. And the reason is Jesus, the resurrected Savior. He promised that as he rose, we shall rise also. And friends, what will we be resurrected to? What will we be able to enjoy for eternity after eternity after eternity forever? Well, Jesus gave us a glimpse into our future in Matthew chapter 19. Listen to what he says in Matthew 19, verses 28 and 29. He's looking down the road and he's saying, this is what you get to look forward to. He says this in Matthew 19, 28. Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new, the restoration of all things, New heaven, new earth. And the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne. You who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And listen, and everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. He says the world will be made new. And Christ's followers will be blessed a hundred times for anything that they gave up to follow him. Friends, he's saying this, it will cost you something to be my follower. Why? Because love costs. It does. Don't think it doesn't. Love isn't a gushy feeling. Love is willing the best for another. And to will the best for another costs you something. It costs you resources. It costs you time. It costs you energy. It will cost you being hurt. But love costs. And you will give up something as you follow Jesus in this life. But the text says, but you will receive an exponentially greater reward in all of eternity because of that. Jesus says his followers will rule in a place of abundance. He says a hundred times more than anything you gave up here. Jesus says, I will give you abundantly more for all of eternity. The prophet Isaiah adds something more about what our our eternity will be like. In Isaiah chapter 65, verses 17 to 19, it says this about what we have to look forward to. It says, look, I'm creating a new heavens and a new earth. And no one will even think about the old ones anymore. Be glad, rejoice forever in my creation. And look, I will create Jerusalem as a place of happiness. Her people will be a source of joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and delight my people. And the sound of weeping and crying will be heard no more. The new heavens and the new earth. I have to believe that what we have here and now, as wonderful as it is, based on what what Isaiah says, as wonderful as it is here, this will pale in comparison to what's to come. Do you love the ocean? Suzanne's favorite place to be on the planet is in the ocean, especially if it's like 100 degrees and there's not a shade tree to be found. Not my favorite place, but it's her favorite place is the ocean. I love the ocean too. Imagine an ocean 
completely unspoiled. An ocean that's perfect and teeming with life. And that you've been in the ocean, you've been in the Caribbean and seen that, that, that aqua blue water that you just can't imagine it's so beautiful. Multiply that by a hundred. Multiply that by a million. And that's where you will live forever. That's all things new. Do you love the mountains? Imagine the most beautiful mountain setting you've ever seen. Multiply it by a hundred. Multiply it by a thousand. Make it more majestic than you could ever imagine because Jesus said what's to come is more amazing than we can even imagine or dream about. That's where you will hike and play for all of eternity. New heavens and new earth. Isaiah goes on here to say the former things will not even be remembered anymore, nor will they come to mind. Think about the pain and the baggage that we carry around every day of our lives. You try to overcome it. You love Jesus. You're, you're going through trek. You're trying to get better, but there's some things that are still there because we live in a sin-corrupted world and we really get hurt. In all of eternity, guess what happens? They're gone. Redeemed, restored. You are healed. You're whole. You're complete for all of eternity. What else does Isaiah say? He said, the sound of weeping and of crying will be heard no more. No more sorrow, only joy. Eternal joy with Jesus. Friends, this is what we have to look forward to. Paul calls it our confident hope. And Paul says that when we really understand that hope of heaven, what happens? He says, then we're free to love others. We're free to expend what we have to expend, which love requires, because we know we're secure. We know how it turns out. And one of the greatest expressions of love that exists on this planet is telling other people about the future that that can be when they meet Jesus. And friends, that's what mission is. Mission is this, because of love, joining with Jesus in his mission to seek and to save the lost. There's nothing you can commit your life to that can be remotely as important and as beneficial and as joy-filled in your life as joining in the mission. A couple told me on Wednesday night after church. They said, Pastor Mark, do you have any, any um, materials I can use with a, a person who just came to Jesus? And they told me the story. And they said, we just got to lead a relative to Christ last Sunday in our house. And they're like, it was amazing and it was wonderful. And we couldn't believe how great it was. I said, friends, that's the greatest joy you'll ever experience in your life. But here's what reality teaches us. Reality says that 95% of people who sit in church pews from the day they come to Jesus till the day they die will never be one time a key player in leading somebody else to Jesus. 95%. Only 5% know the joy of experiencing what with the greatest expression of love ever, which is spending yourself in order for somebody else to come to know Jesus. Friends, get on board on the good side. We're, you have something valuable every day. We're trying to show it to you. A $50 bill is really nothing compared to the value of the gospel that you have. And you have this. And you get to share it. That's what mission is. Because of love, joining with Jesus in his mission to seek and to save the lost. That's why we talk about mission. Friends, let's end today by me reading one more section of scripture about our bright future. Revelation chapter 21, the end of the whole book. 
verses 1 through 5, it says this. You've kind of seen a resounding theme here in every verse I'm reading. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heavens and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from, from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down. For what I tell you is trustworthy and true. Look what the Spirit inspires. In some of the very last words of Scripture, I am making everything new. Friends, that's our hope. That's our future when we're in Christ. So friends, think how our todays will change if we really grasp what God says about our tomorrow. He will make all things new. Your life, this world, will be renewed and blessed and glorious. You don't need to spend your days grasping for more, making a bigger pile of, of ant, a bigger ant hill. All that stuff will just be wiped away. What matters is that you live for Jesus and you bring more people along so they come to know Christ and it's a celebration for all of eternity where everything is renewed and blessed and glorious. That's really all that matters. And friends, we can rest in that promise. We can trust in that promise because the evidence that it's real is that the grave is empty. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive and he said, as I rose, you will rise also. The evidence that what I'm saying is true is the empty tomb. And we can trust in Jesus. So the big question we have to ask ourselves today is this. Maybe two questions. Number one, have you ever come to Christ so that the new heaven and the new earth is your future home? We talked about it during communion. Have you ever done that? If you haven't, you can today. And the other thing is this, if you know Jesus as your Savior, you ask yourself this question, am I really living with my eye on heaven? It says elsewhere in Colossians, don't live your life focused on this earth. Live your life focused on the things of heaven. Focused on what's to come. It doesn't mean that we live a life that's no earthly good today, but we live this life through the lens of what's to come. We say what's to come is this new heaven and new earth and all my accumulation and all my accomplishments really mean nothing. All that matters is that someday everything's restored in Jesus. Are we living our lives saying that's the thing I'm shooting at? Because everything else will just be an anthill that'll be wiped away. Friends, today, let's reorientate our lives. Let's, let's understand the joy that waits us in a new heaven and new earth. And let's let that, the fact that we have a confident hope in that, affect our days today. Do we love other people? Because Paul says if we get that, it'll affect how we love other people. That's awesome, isn't it? Let's pray together. Father, thank you. 
for loving us. Thank you on this Mother's Day that, Lord, we can celebrate your goodness. And, Father, we would ask now that you would give us this gift. Give us a glimpse of of eternity. Help the words of Scripture to come alive inside of us. Help us be excited about eternity, excited about Scripture, excited about what the picture is painted for us of this new heaven and new earth and saying, that's my home. No matter what I suffer with now, no matter what's going on today, what I have is a promise of a bright future with Jesus for all those who walk with Him. So in these closing moments of this service today, we're having a time of prayer. Your heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I simply want to give you an opportunity if you, if you want to today. You say this, Pastor Mark, what I do know is that I don't know Jesus. But I want to know him today. I want to know this one who offers us eternity. I want to know the one who died for me, as you, as you explained, this one that you said gave his life on a cross for me, as you talked about in communion, and that's alive today and, and receiving me. He's offering his life to me so I can come to know him. And he's still doing it today. I want to come to know Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. Something inside of you is saying, this is for you today. If that's happening to you inside of you, that's the Holy Spirit of God. Because the Bible says no one comes to the Son unless the Father draws him or pulls him. And he does that by the activity of the Holy Spirit within you. And this thing inside of you that says, I need Jesus. You're not manufacturing that. That's Jesus. That's the Spirit of God saying, come to Christ. And if that's you today, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to what the Spirit of the Lord is doing inside of you. I'm going to do it this way. I'm not going to embarrass you or call you out. But I'm going to start on my, my left in the sanctuary. I'm going to move my way to my right. And if you say, today, I want to give my life to Jesus and I've not done it yet. I really want, or I'm away from God and I want to come back. As I look at the sections of the the auditorium, I want you just to look me right in the eye and I'll take my time. You look me right in the eye and say, yes, I need Jesus today. I start on my left here. You say, do I, I want to ask Christ in my life today. Come into the center. And all the way over to my right. Okay. Okay. People saying, I want Jesus. We're going to pray together as a church. I'm not going to embarrass you. You're just responding to what God is doing. You're not here by happenstance. You're here because God brought you through the agency of another person. Maybe you've been here a hundred times. Maybe this is your first time. I don't know. We're going to pray a prayer. There's nothing magical about the formula. It's just talking to God. And I'm going to invite the whole congregation to pray. And if you say, I'm ready for Jesus today, you pray these, you just pray this prayer. We're talking to God. And he's, he's here for you. He's listening. So pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I need you today. I open up my life and I invite you in. Wipe away all the crud. Wipe away all the pain. Wipe away all the sin. Make me brand new inside. Fill me on the inside with the presence of your spirit. And on this day, I welcome you into my life. I ask you to be my Savior and my Lord. 
And so, Lord Jesus, give me a brand new life. Help me as I walk with you. Thank you, Lord.